Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi there, this is Cecilia, content producer at the Webby Awards. Are you making great work on the internet? If so, I want to take this moment to remind you that the final entry deadline for the 27th Annual Webby Awards is coming up on Friday, December 16th. This year, we're expanding our categories across websites and mobile sites, video, advertising, media, and PR, apps, dApps, and software, social, podcasts, games, and new this year, metaverse, immersive, and virtual. Check out all of our categories and enter your best work by the final entry deadline at webbyawards.com. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Net neutrality, you greedy dickheads! Demand better of the internet. Unbelievably grateful, click with compassion. Universal access to all knowledge. Hey there, and welcome back. Recently, we've been talking more and more about the responsibilities technology has to us and the responsibilities we have to each other, especially on using tech for good instead of harm and how to mold our future into the one we want. We've teamed up with Omijar Network to find out what we can do to promote responsible use of digital technology and to make it more accessible to communities who have historically not been able to access it. From our partnership came a trend report, which was published last week, highlighting the important work that's been done to hold technology and us accountable. And to explore this a little bit more, Webby Award President Claire Graves sat down last week with two innovators in the responsible tech sphere, Michelle Lawrence Jawando, who is the SVP of Programs at Omidyar Networks, and Dr. Fallon Wilson, who is the lead principal investigator for the Black Tech Futures Research Institute. Together, they talked about the unequal history of technology, how it's still inaccessible to many across the globe, and what the future of responsible technology looks like. I am so excited um, to share that. And I want to thank you all for being here. Um, this is a beautiful space. And I am coming off of spending a day yesterday at the United Nations General Assembly and participating in that. And sometimes there's this dichotomy between what's happening in the world and world leaders and development and those conversations, and that's happening over here. And then we as kind of futurists and folks who are thinking about what tech and innovation, those, sometimes those conversations happen over there. And what I'm hoping we do is we bring them all together. And that, to me, is responsible technology. And so much of that relationship and partnership is, is possible because of leadership like you, Claire, frankly, to have the vision. Um, but this is this is how I show up, right? Uh, how many Star Trek or Star Wars fans do we have in the room? Okay, right. So I grew up deeply. I actually snuck up to Midtown Comics today, by the way. Fortieth, um, <laughs> right there. <laughs> um, and growing up, the idea around the future 
often had this kind of utopian belief in the Star Wars world. Um, more so Star Trek, actually. Star Wars was a little like Empire, dystopian right. and then after. Mm -hmm. But Star Trek really was this utopia. And you saw an agency, you saw an engagement, you saw a global world, multi-sensory kind of engagement. And that's how many of us grew up thinking about what the future would be like and the kind of future we wanted to shape. But growing up, how many of us have seen Hunger Games or iRobot or any of those, right? Right. So then on the other side, you have dystopia. And if you did a quick search right now on Wikipedia, there are like maybe 80 quick films that will come up that are dystopian tech future. And then it's Star Trek for Utopia. So they're like, we have two very different worlds of how we think about right. what our future will look like. And that is because in many ways we've taken our agency out of the type of future that we mm. want to create. So we've said it's either the robots are going to destroy everything right. or the robots are going to fix everything. And somehow in there, we as society and people and humanity and the beauty and the diversity that's in this room, sometime, somehow we were erased out of that story. Mm. And so I think responsible technology shows up and we say, actually, it really is up to us um, that we have the opportunity to shape technology for pro-social outcomes. And if we believe that, then there's still time. Nothing is over. It's not dead. We can fix it. We can do things. Um, and so this partnership with um, the Webbies and opening up this category really shows up at a moment where we say we want to shape what the future looks like for us. Um, I identify as a black woman with a disability. Mm. My daughter is neurodiverse. And so when I think about accessible technology, I recognize that at some time in the future, I may not have full access to all of my limbs. So I want someone innovating now to think about what it means for me to access the technology I need. Boom, the Webbies, we're gonna do that. We're gonna lead that way. When I think about, <laughs> right, when I think about sustainable technology, mm -hmm. most of the conversations at UNGA were about climate. Mm. And yet we haven't really put the energy around how we build a community of sustainable innovation. So it's up to us. So we're going to do it. So that is really how we show up at Omidyar Network, saying we're not waiting around for either the utopian or the dystopian future. It's up to us. We're going to shape it. And we want to do it in partnership with everybody else. And you all released on Tuesday your perspective on responsible technology. Do you want to speak a little bit to what that perspective is? Yeah, definitely. So we released um, our point of view, which is essentially how I've explained that there are, are six ways for us to show up and think about the whole of the ecosystem. That sometimes, um, if we're honest, we have conversations around diversifying um, who the funders are, who the investors are, how we get access to capital. That's a conversation in tech that happens over there. We're, we've very much been a part of impact investing in that conversation. Mm -hmm. 
But that happens kind of over here. And then there's like a side conversation about how do we diversify tech and how do we make sure that there are more women in tech. And then we have a conversation kind of on the side around mis and dis and malinformation and uh, information ecosystems. And then somewhere back there, we have a conversation around how do we build a pipeline of thought leaders and how do we spur innovation. And oh, by the way, there's big tech and they're out of control and we need to figure out what our relationship with data is today and how we we want to change that relationship and are the um, guidelines in place for us to have a healthy relationship with the tech ecosystem that exists. So all of these conversations are happening separately. Boom, boom, boom. And what we're saying is actually, folks, we got to step back and look at this whole. We got to look at this as a universe. Okay. We have to look at this as a solar system. And then coming together, there's ways that we can solve the problem. So that is essentially our point of view for the world. And we feel like as philanthropy, there is a responsibility to be transparent about how you want to show up and what you support and what you believe. And so that's what our point of view is. I got you. Our hands might get sore from the clapping. Yeah, yeah. It's hey, it's called how you get communication yeah. going. Because it's hard talking up here, but please continue. So, I mean, and I think one that's one of the things that we've really dug into is that it, it's really, it's a very broad conversation. It's a very meaty mm -hmm. conversation. It covers a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. Some of the areas that we um, have kind of pulled out and really focused on in the trend report that we launched today is social impact, inclusivity, accessibility, less harm, trustworthiness. So Dr. Fallon, what's responsible technology to you? What does it mean to you? You know, I had to really think about this question a lot because I'm probably going to be the little critic up here um, as we think, just being honest. I mean, because I, I'm, I've been so blessed to be able to understand and be in so many different communities and conversations. And so a couple of years ago, it was design thinking. That was the thing that technologists needed to do in order to create a hum humanity where technology and people could live. That great. Makes mm -hmm. sense to me. At one point, it was public interest technology, which I still like that term, public interest technology, and how we create a pipeline of amazing, not just technologists, but people who can work at the intersections of public policy, technology, and data, and build. Love that concept. Then there was another concept called just tech. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, and now I have responsible tech. And so I have all of these amazing terms, and as a researcher, I want to know exactly how they support the amazing future you laid out. This, this type of Star Trek um, moment where everyone is included and seen. And so for me, it is a hard thing because I sometimes think about all of the terms I gave, including responsible tech, and I always have to go back responsible technologists. Because if I say responsible tech, products come to mind, objects come to mind, but it's the people behind the objects and the products that we have issues with, right? And so how do you create responsible technologists? How do you create public interest technologists? How do you create just tech technologists? And, and, and for me, it really looks like a lot of offline work. Um, I don't know how many are familiar with um, the civil rights movement. Civil rights movement, okay, I say, I say, yes. Yeah, you give it up. Give it up for Dr. King, um, he rest in peace. Um, and in that, in, in that amazing movement, in particular in Birmingham on D-Day, um, one of the amazing strategists of that movement was Fred Shuttlesworth. And 
and they use children. I mean, let me let me just say this. There were so many different organizations that comprised the civil rights movement. There were traditional pastors like Dr. King, and then there were, you know, the young people mm -hmm. um, um, who were SNCC, right? And there were many- John Lewis. John Lewis, there we go. Mm -hmm. Touche. He, I mean, he's an end sister now, an elder, many mm -hmm. of you, but he was definitely a leader in the, in the youth movement. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, they decided to use children to protest against like Jim Crow in the South. And what Fred Shuttlesworth's reason is that if he could capture a picture, one picture, and tell the story of what's happening in the South using the camera, a technology, mm -hmm. um, then he could change the trajectory of the conversation to get more eyes on what was happening in, in Southern states with Jim Crow. And he did, right? There was a picture where the young man was attacked by dogs that I guess went viral was a mm -hmm. different context then. It made the newspapers. Y'all know what newspapers are? <laughs> okay, good, good, good. See, they do listen sometimes. <laughs> um, and so when I think about what is a responsible technologist, or what I think about as a public interest technologist, it is being able to use technology to do a social good. Mm -hmm. It is about making the world better. It is about building so that communities can make and have choice. Mm -hmm. Because what we don't have now is choice. And the other thing that I, I think I have challenges about the responsible tech community, because I'm gonna be the critic up here, it seems like we have all of these amazing national and big organizations training technologists to rethink and think about accessibility, inclusivity, social impact, less harm, trustworthiness, all of the amazing pillars. But then I was telling you in the, in the, in the lobby, I work alongside community members and I'm struggling to get internet access for them. 29% mm -hmm. of black people don't have computers. Mm -hmm. No, 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 I'm lying, that's not right. 29% don't have internet. The number of deviceless black people in the world is just staggering when I look across cities. And so it seems to my, it always feel like a disconnect. I see it and I'm a part of this community and we're building policy and we're tackling tech companies and we're dealing with data privacy and all of these in some ways very fad and but intentionally fad type of topics, but yet we have yet to translate how it affects lived experiences. This world we're building is a world that my aunt and my grandmother won't be able to participate in because they can't afford internet. And so it kind of like sets up a dichotomy for me and I'm always running in between. And so when you tell me responsible tech or responsible technology, I don't know how to define it because I know we're doing good here, but I also see so much work here and there has to be some type of intersection. And this is, this is I actually think that there's a lot more together than we mm -hmm. are apart here because the big issue that I think has happened, and I'm sorry, Claire, no, but now no, I'm like, no, I'm I'm get, right? get into um, it, because I think what has happened is there's been conversations where, where humanity, where people, where individuals have been taken out of the story about how we shape the technology right. that uh -huh. affects our lives, right? So there are right now, I know you were giving US stats, but right, right. now there are 2.9 billion people mm -hmm. around the world who've never spent any time online. Like never, okay? 2.9 billion people around the world. A disproportionate amount of those people are in the global south and are brown color. folks that right. look like me. Right. And so when I spend time thinking about responsible technology and innovation, mm -hmm. it is both how do you create kind of 
15 world leaders who agree yesterday that this is something that they're going to focus on. And countries where we actually are seeing them leapfrog and engage. And it is, how do you call attention to what happened in California last week with the kids code being passed so that we're actually protecting the data futures of young people and that we're not just giving up all of their access points. So for me, when I think about the solar system, it is and, and. I actually feel like there's an urgency in this moment because what has happened is we've set, we've actually segmented the conversations when we need to have an all hands on deck, code red, like we're in it moment because we've so often removed ourselves from being engaged. And I'm just like, that's not a world I want to accept. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that, it, I mean, to that point, one of, the, one of the things that has really come out of the research that we've been doing is that it is a pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. And it's not only a pivotal moment because people are finally kind of coming to a place where they're receptive to the conversation, but it's also a really important moment because we're on the cusp of building totally new technologies. There's a whole new area of the internet in the metaverse that is being built right. and Web3 as well. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could speak a little, a little bit to that and how it is a, how is, how it is a pivotal moment and how we can start reimagining what the future can be. It's a pivotal moment in this country, practically because we have $65 billion that our Congress, give it up for Congress, yes. <laughs> they don't always pass things, but they did get this done. Um, We have $65 billion for broadband in this country. We will probably never in my lifetime get another type of bill where we're trying to figure out how to level the playing field and end the digital divide as we now know it. To me, this is monumental. Why? Because it's the first time in this country that we're talking about digital equity. Mm -hmm. And in states. Mm In the South. In rural. In rural. Yeah. <laughs> I don't y'all y'all should get excited about this. <laughs> this is I mean, this is this is notable because once again, the future of a web three, when you have the so large majorities of people of color and poor people in this country don't have like a VR headset because they're three what three hundred dollars now two hundred I think Facebook went back up to what two ninety nine now feel comes some kind of way about it. Um, <laughs> we have um, internet costs, we have devices. Black and brown people, Latino folks, over-indexed on mobile devices, not the same thing of having, you have all of these dynamics happening here, and then you want to get over there, and I'm like, ooh, there's so much to your point. I think we're almost together on this, but having to build there, so it's a pivotal moment because we have the resources to do it, and I think foundations like yours and others are really thinking how to, how to amplify that work, and so it's pivotal in that way. It's also pivotal, too, because we're two years after George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And now I'm beginning to see that there are also some organizations who made major commitments and they're beginning to roll those things back in a way (laughs) of like they don't remember it anymore. And so it's no longer a funding necessity. And so you have all of these funds coming in. You have all of these amazing organizations who are beginning to, you know, put their funding, their resources elsewhere. And now we're here saying to ourselves, how do we get to a Web3 moment that is truly equitable for everyone else? Mm-hmm. And I think, we, I think we can do it, but I think it will require a lot of translation work in, in the sense of what is a Web3? I mean, I want to say I have a PhD, okay, and I do. Um, you better clap for that. <laughs> 
but I had to learn what a Web3 was. Um, and so for me, it's like, I know we talk about media disinformation and misinformation, but we, can, we need to talk about how do you translate these, these mm -hmm. concepts 100%. and these new words to everyone so that they can once again make decisions for themselves. Because once again, what I think is happening, and I have to be critical of it, is that we have well-meaning folks in organizations and in public interest tech and they're building these new worlds and they're gonna have all these amazing policies that are gonna wrangle the big tech companies, but you will still yet have large groups of people not understanding the world. Mm -hmm. Because for you to have to translate, you really have to, number one, not see yourself as the leader in the conversation. Mm -hmm. You're not the leader. Y'all can shake your head. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you really have to see yourself not as the leader and also be able to co-create and say to community, this is what this is. Does, does this resonate with you? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I, I just, oh, Lord. I'm, this is my first public conversation in two well, years. Well, like, so, let's, <laughs> so let's dig into that because I think that you're, you're kind of verging on the next part of the conversation, mm -hmm. which is... To do this, we have to be building new ecosystems, and you're both very focused on building new ecosystems. So, Michelle, can you talk a little bit about the ecosystems you envision and which entities need to work together to achieve it? So, let me actually step back and, and add two pieces here. One, um, let me just say one of our partner organizations is called The Plug, and one of the things they are doing, they are tracking those commitments from organizations of what their racial equity, racial responses were post George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend that you look at their research because as my sister just raised, that there have been commitments um, and this organization is tracking about accountability, right? So again, how do we build an ecosystem? It is about accountability, it is about transparency, and it is making sure that we live up to these values that we've laid out. So that's just like one very random, I'm telling you about the plug, yeah. but I'm also plugging the plug. Okay, no more puns. All right, <laughs> the, the, to, to your point, um, if I back up and I say there is a world in which I see myself and I see my children and I see a future, I know that right now, I'm currently occupying the imagination of someone else who came before me. Mm. Mm. And let me tell you what I mean by that. The mindsets of how we perceive the internet and our relationship with digital technology was based on mostly about 25 to 30 white men 40 years ago. And that was their imagined world of how we access certain technology. And each of us are now partaking in what was then their imagination. And so for me, one of the things that I'm saying about ecosystem shame is often, often a mindset shame. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. about what we accept as what's possible. So part of the reason why we are frustrated or we feel like this is the moment is because there are ways that we've been experiencing this world that feel not satisfying because it was never designed with any of us in mind. Right. So the system is actually currently working because that was their imagination at the time and it didn't look at all these other folks and needs and equities. We didn't think about the world. We didn't think about the global south. My last name is Jawando. That is Nigerian, y'all. That ain't yes. American. Right? There, it wasn't nobody coming to Lagos, Nigeria at the beginning of the internet talking about how does this work right. for places that we don't have access to broad digital technology, right? But out of these communities and these countries around the world, we're seeing great advances, and yet we make some of our frames focus only in this Western version eyes of digital technology today. And so what we're saying is, let's have some different mindsets. Let's also acknowledge that right now we have extractive capital often, mm -hmm. that the systems that we are using right now are about mindsets that say some people should win in the system and some people shouldn't and that we're okay with using the labor of some people and not others and that we value certain people in society in a way that we don't value others and that's an ugly realization but that's real and that's how we've existed and I'm not okay with that anymore. Mm -hmm. And we're not okay at Omidyar. And I don't think Dr. Fallon or Claire, and I don't think you are, because that's why you're here. And one of the things that we wanna do is help to change and create an ecosystem that's open and available for that. And that's been a learning process for us. It will continue to be. But again, we're not taking ourselves out of mm -hmm. the agency that we have to imagine something new. Mm, that's shame. So yeah. Well, Dr. Wilson. Um, I live and breathe black tech ecosystems. I'm unapologetically black in every way. Um, I should start there. So when we talk about like envisioning black tech futures, we really do mean it. And the way that we operationalize it at Black Tech Futures is that we seek to optimize and align black institutions within municipalities in order to drive change and for that they can collectively create their futures in an automated world. What does that really look like? Well, thank you for asking, because I talked to myself because y'all are not talking to me. It really, it really looks like um, being able to understand the gaps and opportunities through our index work, where we really look at all of the systems you said. We look at K through 12, we look at post-secondary, we look at workforce, we look at government, we look at tech entrepreneurship, we look at what we call critical black infrastructure. In particular, those institutions include historically black colleges and universities. Hampton. Spelman. Hi. I know, right? Listen. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to all the HBCUs out there. <laughs> um, and, so, so, and so we look at those. We look at black multi-faith institutions. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to come back because 
Often when we think about technology, we don't talk about faith. Mm -hmm. And to me, they are synonymous and most needed for translation. Um, we talk about black public interest tech organizations like Data for Black Lives. Give it up for Yeshi, yes. She may be in your report, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also talk about, of course, black tech pipeline organizations too. And that would be new organizations like Blacks and Technology Foundation. Mm -hmm. That would also be other types of traditional engineering organizations like NSB, the National Science Black Science Engineers of America, okay. but y'all know what it is, y'all got it. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we, we assess them and we work with on the ground community leaders and researchers to gather the data in order to present a report and to score a city. And let me tell you, mayors do not like to be scored. They do mm -hmm. not, I don't care if the score is a five or a 10, if it's not like 100% great, it is a problem. But it's used by community leaders that we work with on the ground we call them black tech ecosystem builders to hold accountable government and, and foundations and organizations to do right by black people. I know, and so when we talk about like smart city design, yeah, you can't have a smart city without smart people. And you can't have it without thinking about human capital and how you invest in it. And so when we think about ecosystems, it's that. But the truth of the matter is, to me, there is no black tech future without HBCUs. Mm -hmm. There's no black tech future without black multi-faith institutions. Mm -hmm. And there definitely is not a black tech ecosystem or future without black women. Mm -hmm. And so we spend our time building resources around these three organizations. We work with New America on their mm -hmm. public interest technology network, which is really exciting because that presents a new pipeline of future responsible technologists who will go into the world and create um, from the lens of equity, social justice, and also just the loving blackness and brownness in the designs that they do. Can we have a little bit of that too? Mm -hmm. And so for us and, and for me, and I've been very blessed to be in all parts of the ecosystem from venture and tech entrepreneurship all the way with a pipeline. And I realized that people be like, we know the issues, Fallon. We ain't got, you ain't got computer scientists. They don't graduate. We have poor attrition and retention rates in tech companies. We're less than 4%, blah, blah, blah. All of this is like, why, what, why do we need more data to tell us what we already know? And I say, you don't know the story. You don't know the nuances in Baltimore. You don't know the nuances in Detroit. You don't know the nuances in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And when you dig down and disaggregate and see exactly, you will see how damning and demoralizing the digital experiences are for black people in this country. And, and, and I think the reason why people like to talk at the aggregate, and I get it because I'm a researcher, it makes, it's comfortable. It's easier. It's easier. Mm -hmm. But when you get down and you see that, when I look at Baltimore, oh my God, mm -hmm. it hurts my heart when I think about the level of no devices, no computers, no internet, no access. But then we talk about this grand future that we're going to have, and it's going to be great. And I'm always, and I feel like I'm always the Debbie Downer in the room. I'm like, but listen. Actually, sometimes we're like, you're like Jeremiah in the Bible, Fallon, or Chicken Little in the story. This is ball. It, it will not work unless everyone has access. Mm -hmm. And what I see now is that we're building, and we're not thinking about that, even the good people. The good people are not doing good things because they're not working along all of the inequities that I've just named. And to me, it's kind of like uh, we, will, we, will, we, will, we will have this brilliance and yet again, it won't be great. But I do believe ecosystems matter. I believe that you cannot solve the tech disparities that I see across communities of color without seeing how they're intersectional and how they compound. 
story is you don't have um, computer science in your public high school, you're not likely to go into it in college, right? And if, you're not, if you don't go to a certain college that you're supposed to go to, Google won't, no, it's the Google, because I know the yeah, I don't okay, gosh, it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Google. Um, but you, you can't, you, they won't take you based on what you did not take or the sequence of the computer science, right? So the you say, well, forget it. I'm going to leave Google, and I'm going to start my own business. Ha-ha, I'm going to be like Mark Zuckerberg as a black woman. Oh, you realize that less than 1% or 2% of black women get capital for their tech ventures. And so every step along the way, there's a gap, there's a, there, there's a intersectional challenge, and then by the time you get to my age, and I am old, I gave my age earlier, yes. Fallon, you're not I'm 40, old. Lord. <laughs> I'm, I know old. it took me two, it took, I mean, I've been denying it for a whole year, but now it's, it's out there, right? Um, but, we come, but, but you finally get to the age and you've gone through all of the experiences, and one of the data things that hopefully some foundation will find, because I have so many research projects, you realize <laughs> that most of those, and, and, and Cheryl, the plug, would tell you this, most of the folks who are doing either tech entrepreneurship or tech pipeline work, mm -hmm. they were ones who wanted to thrive in tech companies, or they wanted to create their tech businesses. Mm -hmm. But because capital, obstacles, and policies prevented them, they decided to go the nonprofit route and create mm -hmm. so that others didn't have to experience it. And that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing that I could have been the next um, Udacity. I, mm -hmm. Man, I could have been the next XEDU. Mm -hmm. I could have been all of that, but, I, but there was no way in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about why the ecosystem matters and why we have to have an ecosystem solution that you just can't focus on one issue, for black mm -hmm. people, I am for reparations. Listen, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. Because only economic and social reparations will address yeah. all of these disparities that are simultaneously doing us wrong. Last thing, I promise I'll be done. <laughs> Even though I gave you all of that, and like I said, I will give the critical. I am the one to be like, that's some F stuff there, because we're podcasts here. <laughs> um, but I also believe that even though all of these bad things are happening, there is joy. And we find joy when we think about the critical black infrastructures within our model. We see it when we see, like, we are launching, actually, on the 24th, or two days from now, um, a, national, a national, like, call and movement with African-American church leaders to sign their congregations up for our new internet subsidy in this country. Pastors are like, Fallon, the pandemic was devastating. Mm -hmm. We understood there was a digital divide, but we... We couldn't, how do, you, how do you practice your faith where collective and corporate worship, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, is about collectively being together, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're living in a pandemic, you can't do it. All that to say that there, there are critical assets within black communities that need to be strengthened. In our faith communities, in this world of technology and ethics, let me tell you, let's talk about... <laughs> Fallon, let Claire say Well, her shoot, thing. I'm sorry. You better stop. I what about democratization of technology? Should we go there? I mean, I'm a talker. I'm a leader. Uh, I, I told you Fallon said this is our first time in two years. Uh, it's been, so you all going to get it all. So we need a bit more time. I'm sorry, Claire. We go might ahead, have to Claire. Recap. I am so well, sorry. Well, actually, you know what? You're talking about the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is the misconceptions <laughs> about responsible tech priorities. And I think, you know, as part of the research that we did, 75% of our respondents cited that their companies had made progress to address an aspect of responsible tech. 
with the majority citing accessibility, inclusive design, data privacy as the changes that were made. Um, so while progress is good, it can also be seen as the low-hanging fruit of responsible tech uh, on that ladder. So Michelle, can you talk a little bit about which other pillars of responsible tech will make more significant and sustainable change? Um, we're, we're like we're so everywhere in this conversation. So I hope you feel connected, get your questions going, and um, and and engage with us as both friends and family. So I think there's two things. I often find that we we probably do like the least amount that's acceptable, and we're like, oh, we've made change because that makes us feel like we're doing something. And I do believe that one win builds on another, but I. This is where I feel like the community and connection come in. So when we shared a little bit earlier, Omidia, we focus on three areas, responsible tech, reimagining capitalism, and how we build culture of belonging. The piece that I think missing in our larger conversation around technology, around community, is because there is an accountability that comes when you are directly bringing in community to ask the questions about what we're saying is okay and what we're saying we actually want and where we want things to shift. And so while this is, you know, companies have made progress, who right. are we asking the question yeah. to, right. right? If you were to ask the large amount of contract employees at a lot of the big tech companies, they may have a different mm -hmm. answer. If you ask the number of, you know, AI ethicists today, have we made enough process? the answer might be different. And so part of what our work has to be is how do you build and bring in enough voices? Again, I want to go back to the labor conversations because you know you mentioned VR headsets, but we also have to have a conversation about the steps before in the global supply chain of what it means right. to bring those technologies to countries like now and who's affected by that. And what does that mean? And how does that all play together? So these are the questions that I think we have to say we really want to make progress on. And then I think the other kind of big shining light for many of us is also how this shows up in conversations about equity, about climate. Hmm. Um, I'm going to go back to accessibility because I think hmm. frequently around disability. Um, my daughter has taught me so much hmm. about neurodivergence. And I think if we cannot figure out how to make accessibility real for individuals and people with disabilities, and what we haven't talked about post-COVID is the number of people post-long COVID who will be living with a disability. Mm. And so showing up in this community are people right. who were not necessarily identifying before as a member of a community with disabilities. And you are now. We welcome you. But because of that, our country hasn't shifted. We haven't adapted. And so the stories of where have we made progress, again, who are the communities that we're asking? And so I really want to broaden our, our question a little bit more to think about who are the communities, who are the people we're asking the questions. And really, if, if we're just doing the base amount, that that's totally not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I think you know we're lucky to have people like Dr. Fallon because she is out here raising up questions that give us a little bit of discomfort because they're questions that we don't typically want to hear. Because if we then hear those questions, we have to 
be called to act. Mm -hmm. And so part of some of this is truth, it's reconciliation, it's reparative, it's painful, mm -hmm. but that's the only way we're going to make it. Ashe. So. Ashe. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Wilson, do you have anything? No, 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 that was good. <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> to both of you, who do you think can make the biggest impact on responsible tech right now? The truth of the matter is, I always, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, and I also love what y'all are doing at the foundation too. I think we have never had a moment where we had every major like person in a space. So whoever has the power of convening mm -hmm. is what I would like to see at this moment. And so I would like to see representation, of course, from our responsible tech community, our AI ethicists, our data privacy, our media misinformation, dis disinformation colleagues, both practitioners and scholars. I want to see people from government when it comes to policy and policy making. I want to see on the ground digital inclusion advocates. Mm -hmm. And then I want to see all of the amazing organizations who have been advocating for like civil rights mm -hmm. and also for human rights all at one big like Noah's art type of table where we can have a conversation because to your point this is a we live in a globalizing space even this conversation is part of a larger conversation that's now happening I think we don't I can't think of that's the only way to move forward because if you don't you'll continue to have what I see which is like Amazing people are building like ways to hold tech companies accountable and how to create equitable futures. And you will have masses of people who like this is this is not relevant for me. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, listen, it is relevant. They're taking your jobs, the robots, you know, type of <laughs> it is very relevant. Um, and you'll have people who say we don't need it. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be like, you do. Um, and so but if you have a person or entity or group that can convene all of the folks and have a discussion about, to your point of the conversation, it is up to us and build out, I hate to say a strategic plan, maybe a, a, a vision plan or, or, or something that allows us to be able to see the similarities and also respect all the black and brown people who have been doing this work before, before non-black and brown people decided to get, I mean, I'm just being honest. Black and brown people work on the ground in their communities to deal with these issues. I'm trying to say the best way simply is, Michelle, what you got? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to do the arc. So just y'all know we're going to do an arc thing. Okay. Noah's so arc, just, yes, all right, we're for gonna, digital we're gonna do, futures. We're going to do, do a no. I love that. Um, I, I kind of imagine I was in my mind. I told you I like got really Star Trek-y, but I... I kind of imagine that we would kind of build this own ship and each of these pieces and we would all meet on the main deck and we would have these conversations. So we're going to do this whole thing. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I would say the main person that I would love to see show up in, in this conversation, um, is I kind of want to go back to almost like indigenous grandma wisdom. I say, and, and by that, I mean, there was something about a collective wisdom when we were all at the table with our elders, with grandmas and grandpas, and when we were learning from each other in a real communicative kind of fashion. Mm. And I think the reason why I love the arc is that 
it can represent so many different pieces of this pie, which I laid out, like that's what our goal is. But there is a communal idea about us building something together. Something has been lost in our culture where we don't commune. Right. I mean, we're so separate. Um, we don't have places. We don't physically even all go or listen or read or study the same thing. And so what I really got excited about just now was this idea that we could create a space where we can bring, and not bring as this is the answer, right? but let me bring in a spirit of community. Let me bring in the spirit of learning. Let me bring in a spirit of teaching. I'm getting really emotional there no, no, because I just see that that is mm -hmm. honestly the only way we save ourselves from ourselves. So many of us hate each other right now. Mm. And we set up systems to hate each other. And we have a, networks that hate each other. And I don't want that. And so that's where, that's what I want. Can I respond to her? I'm so sorry. You can <laughs> absolutely respond. Number one, the interviewer who interviewed us both said, we, you, I love your resonance. Mm. I love your mm. resonance. I have to say that. Um, I, ooh, like transference. Okay. Um, Y'all just had a whole experience. Y'all didn't even get um, I love what you said. I think I think the solution is often the offline solution, right? Mm -hmm. It is a spiritual mm -hmm. sense of how we build together and see value in people. Mm -hmm. The model that comes to mind is always the Freedom School model. Mm -hmm. I love it because it would take your grandmother but then it'll take an amazing AI ethicist and they will be able to sit at the table and talk about what does future look like for us. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way forward to your point, we have to figure out how to put joy and humanity mm -hmm. and wrap it around all of these discussions. Because you're right, let me be honest, the public interest tech community, they do, everybody ain't singing the same kumbaya mm -hmm. song over mm -hmm. there either. They're more than, they're doing their good, but they're not all doing it. It is something about spiritual connection that we have to bring back into this. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, I don't know how, which, which is why I work with faith communities. It's like a point of entry for me to begin to think about how does spirituality, how does love, how does joy, how does justice mm -hmm. form all of the ways we can work together? Because that, that's what we need here, not... Technology is not going to save us. It's not the end or the beginning. It is the people and I think the process of the soul. Yeah, I'm getting really spiritual. It is the soul <laughs> that I think, to your point, that's what we need. I think coming together, not in the sense of a kumbaya moment, because I think critical dialogue is critical dialogue. Mm -hmm. But I do know that we have never had a moment in this country where we've had all of those parties in one room that's right. and, and driving toward a collective future. And I think it is worth doing that in this moment because I don't think we can move forward without doing that. Mm -hmm. So I, and don't ever apologize for your tears. <laughs> no, I don't care about them. I love y'all, y'all are great. I'm joking. Y'all are amazing. They're never gonna invite me back to this, uh, Michelle. So I would say it's moments like this of convening and bring, mm -hmm. bringing the parties together and discussing and having moments. Ashe. Thank you everybody. Thank you both so much. For more information about the Webby Awards, please visit us at webbyawards.com or find us on most social platforms at The Webby Awards. If you like our podcast, we'd be grateful if you took a moment to give us a rating or review. It really helps other listeners find our show. 
You can reach me on social at DMD Likes. Our editor is Kate Mishkin. Our editorial lead is Jordana Jarrett. Our producer is Cecilia Betzel. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is our president. I'm your host, David Michelle Davies, and this is the Webby Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.